Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It's time to bring the orange yet again with our very special guest, our Chief Marketing Officer, Jason Rose, coming to us from the greater Tahoe area. How are you, Jason? Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me on. And it's really great to speak to everybody today. And uh, yeah, beautiful, sunny, but way too warm day in uh, Tahoe today. I know you have been suffering with the lack of the white stuff there and that you are a big skier. Um, what's going on? Why, why can't we get any, any good weather for you guys? It, it's a nasty high pressure system that's just sending all the snow and precipitation north. So it's, uh, I'm waiting for that to break up because man, we could use another few feet of snow up here in Tahoe, but I, it hasn't stopped me. I've gotten 14 days in on the snow so far this season. How, I've been curious, how frequently do you and, and your crew get out? I mean, is this like an every weekend kind of thing? I know you're big skiers, right? Yeah, well, so Thanksgiving, you know, got out pretty much every day over the long weekend um, and then between Christmas and New Year's and then at least one, if not both days on the weekend is kind of how I have to swing it because um, Rob, believe it or not, the CMO gig here at uh, Pure Storage is fairly intense. So it's a little bit tough to sneak away during the day and get some- I can't uh, believe that. I, I, I can't <laughs> <laughs> imagine that you have so many things to do. Um, favorite, before we get off the skiing topic, favorite place to ski in Tahoe? What's what's the number one in your book? Well, I, I'm uh, literally 15 minutes from my driveway to parking at Stagecoach lot up at Heavenly. Um, okay, and so you're set uh, on the south side, yeah. Uh, on the Nevada side, yeah. So, you know, Got like I, I'm, uh, you know, kind of up and on the lift, I think within 30 minutes, including putting on my ski boots, walking up to the lift and getting on the chair. So um, for me, that convenience and also Heavenly is just a big, beautiful resort. And if you stick over on the stagecoach side, that's where the locals kind of hang. It's all advanced runs, so you don't have all the tourists on that side of the mountain. That is awesome. Well, I was curious about that. You've confirmed it for me. We got some good friends who have a condo in South too, and we get up there with them every once in a while. It's just a, it's a fantastic area. Hey, you're a Canadian background as well. You're the third one to uh, join the program. I've had Sean Rosemarin on a couple of times, Melody for my team. Always good to get that Canadian blood going. Awesome. Well, hopefully the uh, accent doesn't throw anybody off on the call today. <laughs> no, I'll just try not to use the word about or out or anything like that. We'll kind of stay away from having you use those words. Hey, how'd you get started in IT? What was what was your what was your journey like? Uh, well, you've been doing this for a while, like all of us, but interesting and interestingly enough, I actually went to school for finance and accounting. Um, so if you told me I was going to go into um, technology let alone end up as a chief marketing officer of a, a company uh, back in college, I would have called you crazy. I've got my, <laughs> I actually still have my um, uh, CPA uh, designation. So I've, I've actually kept it up uh, over the years. Um, but interestingly, you know, I think numeracy, right? Being able to look at web analytics, pipeline funnel conversion rates, um, you know, um, uh, you get into SEO and uh, pay-per-click and all these things you need to be super numerate as a CMO yeah. um, in this day and age. Now, how did I get into technology? I actually started my career at a company called Arthur Anderson. So for those of you oh, yeah. uh, old enough to remember those guys, um, they, at the time they were one of the big uh, five uh, accounting firms. Um, and my first project was uh, in Toronto, uh, being Canadian, and uh, with a, a software company called INEA. And they were a 30-person software company. We didn't call them startups back then, but it was 30 people working with the CEO on a big project for um, Scotiabank, which is one of the big banks in Canada. Um, project went really well. It was a proof of concept. As a consultant, I moved on to my next project. But 
kind of kept in touch with the CEO. And at one point, um, they landed their first big US customer, which was uh, JP Morgan, uh, before mm-hmm. Chase bought them. And uh, Mark pulled me aside, the CEO, and said, Jason, we need somebody to um, you know, take on JP Morgan as our first US client. Would you come in to the company and, and do that for us? And for those of you that have worked in public accounting, when you're a staff consultant, you're like way down here. The partner leads yeah. the project, the senior manager defines the project, the manager then parses everything out to the consultants. And by the time you get it, it's digested. This is your task list, go do it. To being, Jason, we need you to write the statement of work for our biggest customer ever in the US. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, giddy up. And literally that trial by fire of, 90 hour work weeks. I had a corner office down on Wall Street where JP Morgan was headquartered at the time. Um, you know, you just cut your teeth, you learn. And I just learned about user interface, the power of software to define, um, you know, cost center structures at the time. So I did that company. I moved, I found something even better than consulting where I was working 90 hours a week. And for the consultants out there on the line, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, I found out about this job called pre sales, Rob. And uh-huh. pre-sales, people outside the software world would ask me, what is pre-sales? And I go, I'm the rock star of the software industry, right? My job is to come into a, a client meeting and get them doing the wave, pulling the lighters out. Woo, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and getting them to dream about how much better their job, their world is going to be with the software um, that we're selling. So that that really started my career. And then we got bought, the company I was at got bought by a company called Business Objects, which is a pro- used to be a product marketing uh, powerhouse. And that's when I moved from pre-sales into product marketing for financial planning and analysis tools. And then from there, I took over the portfolio of enterprise performance management. We got bought by SAP along the way, uh, which brought me into SAP back in 2008. And then I got the opportunity to work with some fabulous people who are actually in the news this week, interestingly enough, Stephanie Buscemi, who just stepped down as CMO of Salesforce, um, interestingly, about a week ago. And Sanjay Poonin, um, you know, Pat, the CEO over at VMware, just yeah. left to take over at Intel. And Sanjay is chief operating officer for the last eight years, is now in the news again. But they were my two main stakeholders uh, inside the enterprise performance management team at SAP. And then, um, you know, from there, I moved on from EPM to take on governance, risk, and compliance and EPM, business intelligence and advanced analytics. And then I said, wait a minute, now I'm a full fledged marketer. And I went off and I did a couple of startups. I did a company called DataSift, uh, which was actually social data. So I was working with Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and all these different um, social media platforms to um, kind of package up, uh, do natural language processing in real time against their data, and then serve that up to social listening tools like Radiant 6 and um, um, others, right? And then um, I went to a company called Gigya, and this is the thing, Rob, and I, I'm sure you found this and, and many of our, our listeners probably have as well. There's like only 80 people in the technology industry, right? Yeah. All of our paths are going to cross again. We'll all work together at some point. So I went to this company called Gigya, did customer identity and access management, full cloud-based company, had a really fun ride there for two years, um, introduced a bunch of cool to- topics around data privacy, security, all of those uh, elements. And then lo and behold, two years after I joined that company, it gets bought by SAP. So I'm back working with all the same crew, many of the same people, same processes, and always leave on good terms. Always, always. uh, you know, put goodness out into the world because we are all going to work together again. Never burn a bridge, right? Yeah, there is is an IT Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation kind of thing that that 
you know, that does go on. And, and if you think you've kind of gotten away from one of the large companies, you may get sucked back in again. And uh, that's right. It, it, it's the uh, godfather thing, right? I try to get out, <laughs> keep pulling me back in, right? So, um, you know, and then now I find myself at Pure Storage, Rob. It, it, it's, it, it, it's been a really fun first 100 days. Um, I'm kind of, it, it's interesting. We actually build physical things, okay? Right. So, you know, I've never worked at a company that's actually, other than maybe, I think at the beginning of my career, we might've still been uh, delivering CD-ROMs with software on it at yeah, some yeah. point. I, I remember a few box shots and presentations early on, but software is dead, right? It's all in the cloud now. So even the concept of a CD and a version number in the industry I came from is gone. So coming to a place where you have uh, sales and operations meetings and you're talking about inventory mm -hmm. and you know manufacturing processes and, and where our uh, manufacturing centers are is a totally new uh, and exciting kind of concept for me. Um, while at the same time, obviously we're making huge investments in our as a service business where some of that, I'll call it physical tangible product, um, you know, becomes much more our responsibility versus our customer's responsibility, right? So moving much more to that as a service model. So it's uh, kind of a fun uh, kind of learning curve to be on, Rob, and uh, something I'm super excited about. Yeah, you're experiencing some of the things from when I went, you know, when I went from Sun Microsystems into Oracle, you know, some of the first meetings that we had with leadership there, and they were kind of like, well, what do you mean you need to have inventory for microprocessors? And what do you need mean you need to have spares for memory modules? What is this? You know, when we release something, we just click a button and, and press go and it, it shows up whatever, whenever the users want to get it. So that's interesting. At the same time, I, I think you you highlight it really interestingly that there is this pivot and shift as a service and and so much more around the data services that we are delivering. So while we deliver a, a, a actual physical thing, I think a lot of what you've learned and what you bring to us from the software industry is really applicable right now with where the company strategy is going. Uh, completely. And Rob, it's interesting. It's like a, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, I think is a, a saying, yeah. right? And um, mm -hmm. it's a cycle, right? Like I kind of feel like I'm back in software um, circa, let's call it 2006, 2007, right? When uh, you might remember uh, Mark Benihoff and the Salesforce crew out in front of Moscone Center with the uh, sign saying soft, no more software, right? Oh, yeah, software yeah, software and, and circle around it, yeah. Correct, correct. <laughs> and I feel like we're, we're entering a phase of that um, here in the hardware storage market, right? Which is not to say storage is dead. Not, not at all. Yeah. I, I think that uh, um, that is not the case, but I think the approach is changing. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Back when um, SaaS software first was released, one of the revolutionary element was the fact that you paid month to month yeah. versus um, you know, the um, uh, license plus maintenance, right? Um, and, that, and that got a lot of press. That, it was like a different finance model. It was different. But you know what? The conversation in software, that never comes up anymore. Never. Like nobody cares about the fact that it's a subscription versus a, um, uh, a license plus maintenance. Although the financial model is obviously very advantageous as we've seen, especially if you get a high renewal rate, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and interestingly, coming into the hardware, you know, storage space, we seem to like to talk about CapEx and OpEx a lot. Right. And I'm like, you know what, as a, as a user of, of storage or software, ultimately the purchase decision happens how often, Rob? Like every three or four years, every three or four years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's like talking about your paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. 
you negotiate your salary and, and everything up front. And then how often do you talk about it? Once a year, right? You, you go into a comp cycle, you think about it. CapEx, OpEx is like that. Yeah. You do it once every four years and then you never think about it again. So is that the value as a, as a service? Hell no, it's not even close, right? The value is, is I'm taking all of the risk, right? Maintenance, upgrades, um, security, um, you know, uh, uh, administration, uh, capacity planning, yeah, scale, right? Yeah, scale, and I'm passing that off my team and passing it to the vendor I'm partnering with, mm -hmm. right? And you may recall, uh, you're, you're probably um, same vintage or close to as I am, um, that back in the day when when these as a service models uh, and cloud based models were evolving, they said, "Well, banks will never adopt that. Like, there's no way they need to own the data. They need it's not secure enough. Everything else. Well, who do you think does better security now, the cloud vendors or your mid-sized bank?" Got to be the cloud vendors. They have a way bigger attack surface area than than most companies. You have to invest and, in it, right? You have to build trust and 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 credibility, right, in order to get any traction at all with with, with not just banks, but but anybody, right? Anybody, anybody. So so you know you look at it, and now it's like, okay, I want a more secure environment. I want a more scalable environment. I want a more predictable environment from a cost perspective, right? And I want to offload the risk of running these things to someone else, right? Um, and you know, the interesting thing is I think we're, we're kind of in a market where I believe there, there's certain roles in companies that they'll keep doing what they are doing until somebody taps them on the shoulder and goes, hey, uh, Bob or, or, or Jenny, we're shutting off the lights in the data center. We, we, we're, we're turning it off and here's your pink slip and they would never see it coming. They'd be like, oh my God, I know we've got fewer servers and less stuff going on, but you're turning off the data center. But guess what? For many CIOs, people that are setting the strategy for companies, that's their goal. Like I never want to buy a box again. Mm -hmm. I never want to set, I don't want to have any of my employees ever setting foot in a data center. And, you know, that's where this as a service model really kind of enables a, a different value proposition, right? It's not just about the kit, right? Faster, better flash versus spinning disc. Who cares? It's irrelevant, right? right. It, it, it's, it's, the service level. It's like, who's taking on the risk? How do I scale this? What's my predictability in terms of cost, right? It's it's those things that really make the SaaS model win. Um, and we've seen software it, it is, is an anachronism, right? Like nobody has software anymore. It, it's all as a service. It's all yeah. cloud. And at the same time, you know, I, you know, you mentioned risk, but I also I, I recall some CIO summits that I that I was participating in in facilitating over the last couple of years, and there was a we always got onto a jag around staffing, right? It was always around well, I have these staffs built up, and it turned out there were two types of of, of admins that they were working at, the ones that just showed up every day and did the same thing, right? I'm a DBA, right. I'm going to manage my indexes, I'm a storage admin, I'm just going to play around with capacity planning and performance. But then they started to see another personality type emerge, which were these people who were like, I don't want to do those things anymore. Like, yep. let me learn something new. Point me in the direction of something strategic, you know, analytics. Can I take a bunch of analytical data and go off and do analysis and, and make a bigger impact for the company? So that's a really interesting trend that I think is, is maybe not directly related to, to these kind of SaaS models or I'm shutting off the data center, but it's really more about empowering these, these admin individuals and giving them, you know, sort of, sort of purpose or, or strategy um, that, that makes them a part of the business as opposed to just a cog. 
Well, I, I think you're spot on. And, and let me give you an example from a, from a marketing point of view, okay? Data storage, very uninteresting. Yes. Data stores, super interesting. Mm -hmm. So just think about that for a minute, right? One, data storage is like where I have to install my database, right? Data stores, right? Containers, modern apps, streaming data, cloud-based databases, right? Like, oh my goodness, data stores are super hot, super cool. But just think about that, storage, stores. Yeah. But the 100% change in mentality and persona, DevOps versus storage admin. Mm -hmm. Which job is perceived to be hot and have more value, right? And it's the difference yeah. between data storage and data storage. Yeah. So it's fascinating, right? As a somebody who, yeah. who yeah. Um, no, makes a much career a why versus, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, as somebody who makes a career out of positioning, messaging, and language, just the subtlety of that and the huge gulf in value and um, um, you know, or I'll, I'll call it perceived value, right, is mm -hmm. massive between data storage and data stores. So it's very, very fascinating right now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's, I was going to say it's a why versus a what kind of thing, right? Your data storage is very much your what, like, okay, it's there, right? It's, it's a what, but the why data stores, okay, now we're talking, what are, what are the things that we can do with data pipelines, with, you know, deep analysis, if you're a retail company, you know, what can you do with the, with, with the spikes and the peaks and the things that, you know, what, what inferences that you can you make? And of course, you know, everything you've alluded to, we're, we're trying to help folks out with that. Um, talk, talk a bit about your, your first hundred days. We talked up front, you said, Hey, it's not like there's anything that CMOs really have to do. And that, that, you know, kind of jokingly about not being busy, you come in at an interesting time. We obviously, you know, we're very well aware that the pandemic is still, uh, impacting how, how we work and pure has a little bit of an in-office culture. I mean, we've all pivoted yeah. to, to virtual, but we are very in-office. I mean, a lot of things just get done in hallways or, or people sitting in the break rooms or stopping by a desk and we're managing that, but given the pandemic and given other things, you know, you've needed to understand and learn a whole org and a company, how would you characterize the first hundred days? Like what, what, what did you learn that you didn't expect about pure? Sure. Um, well, uh, there, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, so, uh, you know I, it's interesting, like did the entire interview process remote, right? Never met anybody right. in person at any point. So that, that was uh, very different and interesting. Um, and then coming on board, um, you know, certainly within my team, it, it's been very much remote, right? So again, it, it's kind of how do you build rapport, right? Because I mean, we all have you know, our meetings with agendas and objectives that we have to do. But ultimately, um, you know, people work with people because yeah. they like the people they work with. They want to have fun together. They, they work, you know, for me, it is like a passion project, right? Like, um, was it, if you do something you love, you never do work a day in your life, right? right? Like, so, so, you know, for me, a big part of that is the people. So it's been trying to find ways to create like virtual water coolers, right? Like, you know, uh, number one. So, um, you know, I've done numerous, numerous, numerous um, skip levels, right? So I could work with my leadership team all day long and not get to know the other 175 people in the company, right? Or in, in marketing, not even in the company, just yeah, in the marketing yeah. team, right? So I'm trying to make sure people, like people get on the line and go, Jason, what's the agenda? Well, my agenda is just for us to have a conversation, right? Yeah. I want to get to know you. Let's chat. What makes you tick? Yeah, exactly. And not just work, right? Like, you know, um, all about you, you know, what, what are your aspirations? What's your family like? You know, how, how have things been going through this really um, awful 
um, time, right? That's been so trying for so many of us. Um, and then, you know, opening up office hours so then people can proactively just schedule time in a safe zone, right? Like taking, um, you know, 30 minutes of an executive time, you better have a, a good agenda and something you're trying to drive. But when I set up proactively office hours and say, you get 20 minutes, like just come in, book a time, and it doesn't have to have an agenda. It, it can just be a talk um, has, has been really helpful. So that's, and, and believe me, as, as any leader of a, of a significant team, the people element um, is probably the most important part of my job, right? You're probably expecting 100 days at Pure, let me tell you about company messaging and, and budget and um, you know all that kind of stuff. But, and of course, that's all super important, Rob. I got to do all that, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I am a very people orientated person <laughs> and, and, and I thrive on that ability to have that personal interaction. And you have to find new and different ways to do that at this time. I miss, um, you know, the coffee, the lunch, the after work, uh, you know, drink um, and dinners. Like as a CMO at this point, a uh, hundred days in, I probably would have taken at least five to 10 business trips, visited every continent and gotten to see my team at work, right? Like IE putting on the event, what's the experience? What's the feel? How's the food and beverage? What's the customer reaction? What's the quality of the content? And then you get to go out afterwards and celebrate with the team on a job well done and get to know them as people. So it's trying to replace some of that element, particularly as a marketeer has been challenging, right? Cause it's such a big part of what we do. It's all about experience, right? And so yeah. much of our experience is um, you know, uh, in that person to person interaction. Now within that, the business, right? So first hundred days as uh, an executive here, obviously we bought uh, a little company called Portworks uh, mm -hmm. along the way, um, which I'd be remiss yeah. if I, I didn't mention. And again, going to a cloud software uh, perspective, right? Um, Kubernetes uh, storage, right? Um, and uh, backup and recovery and some really cool things to help your containers achieve um, uh, enterprise scale. So super cool getting to work with them and kind of incorporate them into our story. Uh, but really a big part of it for me as well is, is helping define the overall pure story and message. Um, in the storage space right now, I'm sure uh, many of our listeners, um, you know, pay attention to NetApp, pay attention to HPE. You know, obviously NetApp did a huge rebrand, pivoted to the cloud uh, very much in terms of a lead message for them. HPE introduced something called the Intelligence Data Platform. And, you know, I think Pure, our whole story is around innovation. We were the first to really move to Flash and uh, an all flash uh, approach and what we've done with introducing Flashblade and um, the specific workloads they do around analytics and um, data protection and all that kind of stuff is pretty amazing. Um, but it's innovation, but then we do something really interesting. We take a contrarian view in the market, right? We're all about simplicity. Our tech is the best tech in the market, but it's gonna be the easiest to stand up, the fastest to stand up. Our average, um, you know, even in COVID, okay, our average time to uh, delivering a uh, product to your shipping dock, 2.7 days. Yeah, it's incredible. In the middle of the pandemic. Like, I, I mean, yeah. amazing. All you hear about is supply chain disruption and challenges, 2.7 days. Rob, phenomenal, right? We make it simple. We get it to you fast. We make it simple to deploy. And then guess what? Third-party validated uh, net promoted promoter score, right, of over 82, which is the highest of any infrastructure company. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Net Promoter Score, basically you take um, you know, a 10-point scale and if you get a 10, a 9, or an 8, you're positive. Yeah. If you get seven, six, 7 or 6, you're neutral. And anything under that actually is like a significant negative. Like it, it really pulls down the entire score, right? So getting an 82 on that Net Promoter Score with a very strict methodology that's validated by our NPS vendor, Vidalia, 
unbelievable, right? Our customers love us. So we literally, if, if you're out there and you're not a pure customer right now, you should come talk to us about being a pure customer for the experience, right? Yes, we have the innovation. Yes, we're going to make it simple to deploy, but it's all of the support, the way we uh, manage our uh, releases, we catch almost all the bugs before our customers do, right? It, coming from software, Rob, you know this. Oh man. Our yeah. customers were, were, were our test team, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, ship it, ship it, and we'll figure out what to fix once we start getting phone calls and support tickets, right? And, uh, you know, we, we definitely it. take care of that. Yeah. That's it. And at Pure, it, it, it's just not part of our ethos. We make every customer feel like the brilliant, special customer that they are. And it shows through in from marketing to sales to um, services to support, to renewal. What we do as an organization, we are very customer centric, which is very special and, and really shines through in every interaction we have with the customer. So again, coming in as CMO, right? Chief marketing officer, you know, being able to um, think about how we accentuate that and continue that customer centricity has been a big part of my mindset as well. So it's, it, 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 it's been a lot of, um, you know, fun. Um, it's been a, a great learning curve, learning kind of this crazy storage business, right? And then, um, you know, really just kind of figuring out how to navigate and learn a culture and decision-making uh, inside the company has uh, been really interesting as well. Yeah, well, I was going to mention culture, right? Because you've, you've certainly highlighted and, and, and fleshed out the, the customer first culture that we have. And there's obviously certain other aspects, you know, we're big on teamwork and persistence, but from your standpoint and, and, and your background, where you come from, what is this com the customer first culture enable you to do from a, like a brand and marketing perspective? Or is it just simply what you've just mentioned around the NPS? Like, how does that, how does that relate to brand? And there's, I mean, it's a little esoteric, but um, how, how do you see that connection? Well, it, it's interesting. So, you know, I, I think one of the most um, customer-centric marketing, the, the companies that I've been at is, is SAP, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, you may or may not have paid attention, but SAP, when you walk through the airport, the SAP banners all have a customer. Like Hamburg ports run SAP, Porsche runs SAP, right? And I love the fact that um, what that does is I'm always as a marketeer, anytime you can take our brand and a customer brand that's really well regarded and rub those two together, good things happen, right? Um, yeah, so yeah. I think with the NPS score we have, um, it really allows us to highlight our customer breakthroughs, right? Like what are the things that our customers are doing with pure technology that no one else can do, right? And to me, it's, um, you know, kind of that's the opportunity, right? How do we show our success? through our customer lens, right? Because I know, you know, as, a, as an executive data, you know, we've all heard the term data is new oil, right? Like it really yeah. is um, driving business transformation and everything else, but data storage and data aren't necessarily connected in the business owner's mind. My, my, my data understanding as an executive stopped at the database, like literally, maybe I cared, am I on Microsoft or Oracle or Splunk or one of the new ones, right? Like, um, but what it was actually, you know, what physical hardware was behind it was below the waterline. Like never, ever, ever came up. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what SAP server farm was, right? Like it just didn't matter. Um, so for me, it's also by putting it in the customer lens, like what are the breakthroughs we're enabling on the business side that can bring our tech above that waterline? 
um, for our customers. So I think that's a tremendous opportunity for us to really, again, take that high NPS score and turn it into what was the value we drove as an organization that they were willing to pay a premium for pure, right? Because, you know, if you just want commodity, cheap, you know, lowest cost, um, you're probably going to go with another vendor. Like we're, we're, that's not our, our, our Ballywick. Our Ballywick is, you know, high value, high performance. And ultimately, if you're making that call to spend more money, there's probably a business reason behind it, right? And I think the more we can surface that um, and then highlight the fact that that customer experience actually does translate into um, longer term savings as well. So not only, you know, do you get the great customer experience, but over time, it actually pays for itself um, as well, I think is a huge opportunity for us. Yeah, yeah, really, it's all about it's all about what the outcome is or the or the value. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, one of your one of your things is is really around breakthroughs, right? And I think it's really critical for us to, um, you know, leverage some of the, the the close relationships we have with customers, where we can actually demonstrate to others what these breakthroughs and outcomes are. And it's not it's not about sub millisecond latency or you know IOPS or any of those things anymore. And I think everybody's sort of on board with that. But I've always kind of couched it in terms of you know what can this enterprise or or government agency do now that they couldn't do before? You know, what is Correct. what is what is that big thing that impacts their ability to better service their internal and external customers? And you know, I have to live that. I'm on the solutions marketing side, right? So I'm not doing my job well if I don't uh, flesh out that that kind of argument. Um, relative, I you know, and I, it's a little related to what we we're talking about before with the pandemic and everything kind of needing to to really accelerate digital transformation. It's a loaded term that gets used out there yep. a, a lot, but right when you're coming on board, um, Pure had a pretty great milestone, which was the the rebranding of our digital properties. So um, I'd love to get your thoughts on on how what what you've seen with that. I, I loved it. I you know we were always just from a color standpoint, we were always sort of monochromatic with orange and gray and and black and whatnot, and it, everything just pops a lot more, but also I think digitally there's a great evolution going on where we're able to touch and engage with customers a lot more easily with, you know, with, with offers and, and chat bots and engagements, just the kind of things that people want to be able to do online, which extends some of the, the remote installation and other capabilities and the, the ability to quickly ship, as you mentioned before, too. What Just general thoughts around that, again, and that's another one that's big, hard to unpack, but I'd love to get your, your thoughts around that. Sure. Well, firstly, I, I want to say this is the second company I've been at where the brand color is orange. So uh, <laughs> I'm actually a pretty big orange fan, um, you know, as I think many of our uh, pure customers are as well. So, you know, people look at it and go, you know, I use a, a purple cover slide sometime and they go, oh my goodness, it's orange dead. I'm like, no, 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 no. Orange is firmly alive. But the secondary color palette, one, allows the orange to pop and stand out more because you can definitely get fatigued from looking at the same color all the time, no matter how much you love it. Right? Yep. Um, and then secondarily to that, well, not secondarily, it equally as important to that is as we shifted the website to add in more colors, like, um, you know, the uh, secondary palette, we are actually using it as a visual cue uh, for progress through the website, right? Orange at the top layer, purple at the next layer down, teal at the layer below that. So it, it subtly provides a visual cue of how deep you're going into the site. And we've actually seen um, time on page and number of pages consumed on our website increase significantly based on the redesign, right? So the, the, the colors and the brand not only serve as a aesthetic, I like it or I don't like it, right? But actually also help um, progress the customer journey, right? And give people some visual variety 
um, to continue to read and look at and consume content, right? So, you know, again, kind of going back to like where we first started the conversation around numeracy, right? Like, I think there was a time when people went, oh, data and analytics are going to kill creativity. I'm like, it's the opposite, right? Yeah. Data and analytics actually allow us to take risks and then measure, was that a good idea or a bad idea? Right. And then we can recalibrate and move on. Right. And, you know, as a kind of digital first marketer, I'm all about, we're never going to get the answer right the first time. Yeah. Never. Right. But we're going to test and iterate. And after six or seven iterations with data informed decisions, we're going to have like the best optimized content page. Our customers are going to love it. Right. And, and that's the goal is to be able to use things like um, the brand refresh, right. The website relaunch to test, iterate, try new things, and then hopefully provide the amazing customer experience that I think people have come to expect from Pure. Well, and this is where the benefit of you having a numerical and analytical background certainly <laughs> certainly comes into play. Hey, I got to let you go here in a little bit, but wanted to just close with what you're excited about for 2021 and beyond. I had Rosemarin on recently and he gave us his, you know, deep and broad kind of predictions, but um, anything in that vein relative to what you're excited about or anything that you see coming down, down the pipe relative to predictions, uh, both in brand and marketing, but beyond. Well, I, I think uh, a couple of things. I think we're going to see the as a service model continue to accelerate, okay. right? Um, so whether that be um, the cloud hyper, hyperscalers, right? Or, um, you know, companies taking more of an as a service approach with their vendors, right? Uh, for for on-prem acting like as a service. And it's for the reasons we discussed. It's not CapEx, OpEx. If you hear that, they don't get it, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, you know, the full service coming from your vendor versus having to take on all that responsibility yourself, right? So that that that's one. Two, I think COVID has really accelerated the digital journey, right? I think, um, you know, as I look at some of the things we're doing, um, online demos, virtual proof of concepts, things where in the past, a sales team would have dropped into a customer site and location and wined and dined and done all that. I see, you know, for a marketeer, you know, this is the opportunity to move more and more of the customer journey into a digital for self-service mindset, which by the way, I mean, I, I have lots of friends uh, that are salespeople. I love them to death, but the longer you can keep them out of the conversation and come to your own conclusion, the better you generally feel, right? You know, you're not being quote unquote sold to, you're kind of yeah. doing it yourself, right? So I see that for 2021, just continuing, right? Like vaccine, COVID, no COVID, lockdown, no lockdown. I think so much more is moving digital and will remain digital even post the pandemic that I think as a marketeer, there's a lot more um, opportunity for us to make sure that we're helping that customer get as far as they can before they need to interact with a, a, a salesperson or um, somebody uh, further down the line. And especially, um, you know, I, it's, it's funny, people characterize it. Millennials don't want to talk to salespeople. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a millennial, but yeah. you know, I, the, the, long, the more research I can do on my own without the salesperson, the better off I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you make a great point that I think things have changed and will stay. You know, I don't think we're ever going to be pivoting back largely to how things were, but there's goodness in that. I, I think we want to have people have a self-service journey as much as possible until they get to the point where they raise their hand and go, okay, here's here's how and where I need to engage based on what you've provided me that I've learned. Um, that is uh, fantastic, great insight. Hey, we're all really excited that you're on board, looking forward to uh, the next 100 days. 
and uh, and beyond. So maybe we'll have you check in maybe uh, mid-year with the Pure Report again. And hopefully uh, pretty soon you get some snow up there in Tahoe. Let's hope that the uh, prevailing winds from the west kind of shift the jet stream and, uh, and, and you get some of the white stuff so you can get out and about. But really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on board. Anywhere for people to go and connect with you uh, socially, LinkedIn? Sure. LinkedIn is probably best. Uh, just uh, Jason Rose. And if you search for Pure Storage, I'll come up uh, pretty quickly in that search. Um, I check that a lot more than I do Twitter. I it's interesting. I find the engagement levels so much higher on LinkedIn, like so much higher. You put a tweet out there and maybe you get a like, maybe you get a retweet, but um, I find the LinkedIn posts and, um, you know, kind of uh, chat functionality is way more active. So that's definitely the pl best place to get a hold of me. Agree with you 100%. Well, thanks again for coming on. Loved hearing about your journey and insights. And thanks everybody out there for listening. Keep providing your feedback, keep telling colleagues, and we will keep the great guests like Jason Rose coming on to the pod. And with that, we'll close for Pure Storage and Jason Rose. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you.